This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam Kasten-Smith, and I will be your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman. Final one. We are coming in for a landing, bringing the plane down. How you feeling? Feeling good. Are you Are you going to miss not having another one? No, I think we did a good job. <laughs> so we've done all this research, and just so you know, like we have been doing lots and lots of recordings this week, so I've been looking at Will far too much yeah, this week way too many hours <laughs> no it's been good but it is it's helpful to go back through all of this history from you know and there's so much i'm sure that's left on the table and so many things that people have heard and thought oh if only they knew about this or maybe they should have mentioned that or 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 things that they're probably hearing and going oh man they they missed the mark on that so <laughs> i'm sure there's all of that out there uh, so starting back from the Protestant Reformation and doing a very, very, you know, high level survey of American history and how we got here, there's a million things that we're going to miss. But hopefully you caught some of the the major milestones of how we moved off of the founding principles. And can remember that's what this episode has been about not all the evils of America, not all the ways that we've gone awry. There's, there's plenty more to add there. This has been, how have we moved away from those four foundational principles, the rail that we have been talking about, which is religious liberties. You know, your rights come from God Two, you, you, we believe in moral absolutes, we have individual rights and we have limited government, the rail. And that's what we've been focusing on. Like, how have we gotten so far away from that? Because those are the, the bedrock principles that preserve liberty. And that is what, you know, we've been focused on and concerned about in this. And so now we are coming in for a landing into modern day. We've seen, you know, how the schools of education have, have gone off kilter. They've, they've kind of gone and the diametrically opposed direction from what we were originally founded for. And now we see modern day, which is what we're going to talk about the implications of that. And some of the ways that our institutions are now convulsing because we've lost our national identity. And now we have a bunch of people who it's kind of like a a fractured identity to the nation. Will. And if Darn was right, we should be better, right? We should be getting better. And yet nobody seems to think that's the case. You look at poll after poll that says, are we going in the right direction, wrong direction? And the vast majority of Americans for quite a long time now have been saying we're going in the wrong direction. You have quite a lot of Americans that are unsatisfied with the institutions. They're losing faith in who we are as a country. And a lot of that is new. Like it feels like the American experiment, the glorious thing that I think made America still to this day, the greatest nation on the planet. I'm, I'm one of those guys. But man, we are in dire need of some fixing. And so let's go back. We've been talking about education, and we mentioned this on a previous episode, but I want to hit it again because it'll be important for this episode as well. 
like Gallup found that 28% of Americans have confidence in the public school system. That's a crisis. You know, that means that three out of four people who are sending their children, right? The most precious beings that you have in your care, three quarters of people are sending them to an institution and they don't have confidence that they're being cared for well. Public school enrollment has been declining for three consecutive years and in the college realm since 2012, enrollment is down three and a half million people. Confidence in higher education in the U.S. has decreased significantly since 2015, Gallup says, more so than for any other U.S. institution that Gallup measures. So like education doesn't have a lot of faith and now it's fallen off a cliff worse than anything else in the last decade or so. And so part of the reason for that, we've been, Laura and I, we've got four kids. We've got a sophomore in high school right now. We've got a seventh grader, a fourth grader, and a first grade student. And we're starting to think college is not that far around the corner for us. And the idea of, I went to the University of Florida. I, you know, my, all of my brothers were at public universities, FSU, UCF. My brother Dave went, I think, to all of them. <laughs> anyway, but it wasn't a big deal. Like you picked one and you went, but it feels like they're getting more and more radical or maybe some of the stuff that they're teaching is getting more and more exposed to where now as a dad who genuinely sees the most important thing in my children's life is their relationship with God. It's the one thing that will be eternal for them. It's the one source of unshakable security for them. And I look at public universities now and it's like, I'm sending them at a place that's more or less committed overtly to undermining all the things that we have taught our kids. Yeah. And, and so that is very troubling to me. And the universities have gotten to the point now where they are so one-sided. They don't hide the fact that they're one-sided. They are, they're very overt in the fact that they are going to deliver a far-skewed version of things, right, that is not reflective of even the American people. And nobody seems to think that this is something that's a big problem that needs to be addressed. But let me just read some of the, some of the stats on education and, and higher education for the colleges. Political philosophy, it's not the measure of all things. Republican, Democrats, you know, I, I don't have much use for either side of them. But if you're looking at political philosophy, if you're listening to this, you could probably guess where I stand, where I'm closer, more allied with. I don't think that's going to be a wild leap for anyone. But the number of professors that register as Democrats versus the number of professors that register Republican is stunning disparity. So in total, there's 11 and a half Democrats for every one Republican. That's total. When you get into some of the fields like psychology, it's 17.4 Democrats for every one Republican. In the law, it's 8.6 for every one. And journalism, shocker, it's 20 in the one camp versus the one Republican. So, I mean, you see like they're producing the field. You see it in the way that society manifests. It's all of society, like all the means of influence feel like they're totally one-sided. History, get this, 33 and a half Democratic college professors versus one Republican teaching history. And so you want to know, well, why we've never heard half <laughs> of the stuff or more than half of the stuff that we've been talking about? There's your answer. The victors write the histories, and that tells you something. And they're also teaching them. And they're teaching them. That's right. And then you get to economics, and it's four and a half Democrats for every one Republican. And you look at the trends, it's not getting better. 
like the radical 60s that we were talking about with, you know, the sexual revolution and the riots and all the Marxist student organizations. Like in the 60s, there was way better disparity than there is now. It's gone from like 30% back then of professors identified as conservatives, and now it's coming down to 10% or below. You go to Harvard. This is just wild to me. So like the nation's most prestigious university, I think everybody would probably say Harvard. Maybe maybe some people say Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth. But Harvard is kind of the top dog. And you ask their professors, they have a bunch of them, what are your political leanings? Are they very liberal, liberal, moderate, conservative, or very conservative? Very conservative doesn't even have anyone (laughs) in it. But the number of people that would say I'm conservative is 1.46%. Wow. The number who would say I'm very liberal is 37.43%. The number who say I am liberal is 45.04%. And so you put that together, what is that, 82 and change percent are liberal versus 1.46 conservative. Like, it's just overwhelming. You know when you go there what kind of an education you're going to get. You know, I was I went to a public school, Vero Beach High School. I went to a public university. I'm a Gator. And when I went there, I was not a Christian yet, and yet I was asked to take a class by my, my advisor. It was called Religion in the New Testament. And I remember my professor, the whole course, I didn't know anything, but I remember he was very opposed to trusting in the Bible. I totally <laughs> remember that. And I remember my UF history teacher. I remember getting Upton Sinclair and reading the jungle and all the Marxist doctrines. And so all of my time at UF, I remember feeling, man, this is pretty stacked to one direction. You know, I'm probably lean conservative. I did not feel at home there. But now it feels like it's far, far more radical. Don't you agree? Yeah, I went to Florida State, and mine wasn't uncomfortable, but it was definitely visible. Yeah. But I think now it would be super uncomfortable for me to be there. Yeah, why? I think it's like education became godless in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so much so that it's not just like, okay, if you're in a world religion class, you would maybe have a professor who's skewed to, to one way or the other. But, you know, I had a finance degree, and that stuff would come up. Yeah. You know, there was no place in that in my marketing class. Yeah, so the thing that's wild to me is, it used to be that you went to university and you got like an education. You you learned how to speak both sides. You weighed the things. And now universities, this is the feel I get. It's the feel that I get of new graduates that are coming out looking for jobs. Like they're trained up to believe this woke orthodoxy. And you are not allowed to believe anything other than the orthodoxy that they teach. Because if you do, you're targeted. Like it, it's uncomfortable for you. You know, just out of curiosity, I went on to the University of Florida website and and looked at their you know school of education. You know, this is a, you know University of Florida is a great college, but you look at the courses that are suggested for teachers that are going for an elementary education degree, and you will find more courses that have to do with equity which is another way of saying this kind of cultural Marxism where we need to to divide everybody into categories of victims and villains and rearrange and restructure power and everything else. Like there's more courses about equity 
than there are about math or science or social studies. Like you see studying equity pedagogy. That's a course that you see equity pedagogy applications, equity pedagogy instructional strategies, equity pedagogy foundations. And, and what's the purpose of the course? Well, they tell you this explores the foundational concepts of race, class, ability, and sexuality as they impact schools and the children served in them. And reminder, this is for elementary education degrees and so you can see like all of the all of the colleges are so overwhelmed and steeped in this idea that we have to build a society that centers on victimhood and all this woke orthodoxy that divides humanity and teaches us to hate one another it's really disturbing and we should remember that this entire school of thought came out of Columbia and the Frankfurt School and Horkheimer and Marcuse that were teaching this stuff to provoke instability in our country. And today we're left with all of this garbage running our universities. And that has now become the milieu of so many universities that there's now slim pickings for someone like me when I think, okay, I'm sending my kids to college I'm not sure I want them going to these places. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I think Laura and I have done a good job parenting, but I know 100% that I'm sending them to a place that's hell-bent on indoctrinating them to abandon everything that I've tried to instill in their hearts and minds. I, I know that that's coming, and I have to pay them to do it. And so, like, as, as a, like, I'm rethinking, like, what do we do? Do we have to find, you know, a small Christian college that's going to bankrupt us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they're all expensive because they're private? Like, what are the options? And so there's, there's now a movement where people are recognizing this, thankfully. And I think more options are on the way, but we find ourselves in this transitional moment where people are losing faith in the, the institutions of education for a whole bunch of reasons. And now we're in this kind of no man's land of, well, this is this is the only show in town. Like public universities are all we have and none of them seem to be moderating. So what do we do? And it's it's kind of a national crisis. And you would think out of out of fairness that some of these institutions would say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's rein it back. We're going to institute fairness. We're going to have you know, not the crazy disparities in hiring and, and where our where our professors affiliate. But you don't see any of that. In fact, it, it feels like we're moving in the other direction of both sides becoming more entrenched and more radical in the extremes and the fringe of where they stand, which is, which is really discouraging. You know, and on, on that point, just to, to drive that point home, you know, they, they do surveys of, of kids that are coming out of the universities. And this is really sad to me. Um, among Americans that are 50 years old or, or up, half of Americans are very proud to be an American, right? You get to Americans aged 18 to 34 that are coming out of these institutions, and that number falls to about a third of that, 18%. Wow. So less than one in five are very proud to be an American. It used to be a decade ago, that same survey, 85% of Americans were very proud to be an American. And you you sense patriotism is just evaporating. Like we look at our nation, like you know, military recruitment crises are going on. Nobody wants to fight for the country. Nobody believes in the country. We see America as this great source of evil. We're only able to see its flaws. And the irony is, 
that seems to be by design of some people who lived almost a century ago who said, the, you know, the best way to get to revolution is to make people discontent with what, it, what you are, which is pretty wild. And so now, like, 45% of Generation Z have a negative view of capitalism or the free market, but 51% have a positive view of socialism. So let me repeat one of the quotes that we said from, from Lincoln. If you want to know what the government's going to be like in the next generation, look at the classroom of the current generation. And you've got a majority of Generation Z preferring socialism to capitalism, and they know none of the history behind either one. It's, I mean, it's really terrifying. And in addition to that, like when you go into the education realm, parental rights are getting crushed. Like that used to be a bedrock. That's a bedrock of the scriptures. Like Deuteronomy 6 gives parents a charge that says you are in charge of training up your children, period. And now you see like, I mean, anytime you see tyrannical governments or Marxist revolutions, one of the first things that they do is take over the education of the youth and train up the kids to see more loyalty to the state than they do to their own homes. You saw that in Nazi Germany, where parents were terrified to talk in front of their kids because they thought the kids were going to go report them to their teachers that they were speaking disparagingly of Hitler or something. You saw that in the Soviet Union. Lots of parents ended up in the gulags by the testimonies of their own kids. And so a year after the Bolshevik Revolution in 1918, so it took one year for the Soviet Union Congress of Educational Workers to, to issue this edict. Listen to this. We must turn children who can be shaped like wax into real good communists. We must remove the children from the crude influence of their families. We must take them over and to speak frankly, nationalize them. From the first days of their lives, they will be under the healthy influence of communist children's nurseries and schools, and they will grow up to be real good communists. Among the 25 pillars of Hitler's Nazi party platform, one of them was, the state is to be responsible for a fundamental reconstruction of our whole national education program. And so you had Hitler's youth and you had them reaching in and overriding the authorities of the families to indoctrinate them into what their prevailing worldview was. Like that's, that is how tyranny comes. Do you see any of that here? It was tried and in 1920s, you saw a lot of states that started saying like they were trying to limit where parents could educate their kids like, oh, we don't like them. So you can't send your kids there. They have to go to public schools. And so parents sued and against Oregon. And there's a Supreme Court case called Pierce versus the Society of Sisters in 1925, where the Supreme Court unanimously did the right thing. And they issued a decision that said this, and this is this, we need to hang our hat in terms of liberty on this. It, they said the fundamental liberty upon which all governments and this union repose excludes any general power of the state to standardize its children by forcing them to accept instruction from public teachers only. The child is not the mere creature of the state. Those who nurture him and direct his destiny have the right coupled with the high duty to recognize and prepare him for additional obligations. So the court is recognizing who has the authority of educating children? Parents. Parents. This is not something that belongs to the state. And yet now we are seeing a sense where there's a fading of parental rights in this country. Like administrators at the Mesquite Elementary School in Los Angeles surveyed their elementary students 
and they were asking them like questions about sex feelings in my body or touching my private parts and touching other people's body parts. And this is like as young as first grade. The parents are appalled. They go to the school district. The school district says, yeah, we're good with it. And so the parents sue and the case makes its way up to a federal appellate court. The case is Fields versus the Palmdale School District. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals issued a decision. And in that case, they said the right to control the upbringing of children was a right that did not extend beyond the threshold of the school door. And so anyway, you have a court telling parents, yeah, you have a right to your children, but the moment you drop them off at the school door, you lose that right to be in charge of their education. So the court declared, listen, this is straight out of the opinion. There is no fundamental right of parents to be the exclusive provider of information regarding sexual matters to their children. Parents have no due process or privacy right to override the determinations of public schools as to the information to which their children will be exposed while enrolled as students. Parents have no constitutional right to prevent a public school from providing its students with whatever information it wishes to provide, sexual or otherwise. That's crazy. Isn't it? Like this is this is the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. That's one step underneath the Supreme Court. And we've got courts saying that kind of stuff. That once you drop your kid off at the schoolhouse door, you forfeit all your rights. And we see crazy stuff like this all over the country. And in, in early September, California, both the Assembly and the Senate of that state passed a law that would now require judges to consider whether or not the parent affirms a child's gender identity and to whether or not they're going to, to have custody or visitation rights. Let me read to you a section of the, the Legislative Digest that they just published. It says, existing law governs the determination of child custody and visitation in contested proceedings and requires the court for purposes of deciding custody to determine the best interest of the child based on certain factors, including, among other things, the health, safety, and welfare of the child. This bill, listen to this, this bill for the purposes of this provision would include a parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity or gender expression as part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child. And so now in California, judges are going to consider whether a parent affirms a child's perceived gender as to whether or not they can keep custody and going forward in California, judges will be able to strip custody from parents based on whether or not they affirm the state's view on gender identities. When you hear that sort of stuff and you know that it passed both chambers of the California legislature by overwhelming majorities, Anyone who could claim that we are still even remotely close to any semblance of America's foundational principles is living in a delusion. In Boyd County, Kentucky, students are required to attend a rally with speakers pushing the LGBTQ agenda, which is everywhere now. And when parents kept their kids home, like, okay, well, today's that assembly. I don't want my kid in there, so I'm going to keep them home. Well, the school goes to a district judge and says they should be forced to sit and listen to this. And so U.S. District Judge David L. Bunning 
declared that these parents, regardless of whether they had moral or religious convictions, that wasn't an adequate reason to pull them out of the seminar. And so he, in his ruling, he said, while parents may have a fundamental right to decide whether to send their kid to a public school, they do not have a right generally to direct how a public school teaches their child. And so he wrote, he ruled there is simply no basis for an opt-out. And he forced the kids to go sit in this seminar, which was then presented again to them. And it's like this, this has become controversial, this idea that parents should have a say. So when Florida passes a law that says we're not going to teach kids under third grade about sexuality, it's controversial. When we don't want books in the, in the library that show pornographic cartoon images, we're called book burners. You know, like it's getting crazy what is, is being demanded that the schools are allowed to teach children in opposition to what the parents want. Like, I don't understand what's controversial about that at all. Who wants to talk to second graders about sexuality? No one should. No one should. Like, this should not be controversial at all. So here's another one. When Congress proposes the Parent Bill of Rights, and it's, quote, to require public schools to allow parents to review certain materials and to be informed of and to grant consent for certain activities. Well, that was simply too much for the NEA and all the other teachers unions who immediately said that any such law involving parental rights and, and education would would create book bans. You know, this coming from the, the same groups that insisted on banning the Bible or any books that, that include any sort of religious instruction. And so you see this clear campaign from the teachers unions to strip parents of the right to educate their kids. And you see, you see a movement toward that. And so we, we talk about this, and the reality is this godlessness that exists in the schools, this, the pushing of all these destructive and empty behaviors and everything else, this is not improving the lives of children. In fact, what we see is the largest mental health crisis among the young that the nation has ever seen before. Yeah, and you have to be living under a rock not to have heard about this, but let's go over some stats just to make sure because if it really matters what these schools are doing and if a majority of our students are being taught at these godless schools, are they better for it? So let's just hear first in their own words, when teens were asked themselves, these teens 13 to 17 years old, how much of it all do you think each of the following is a problem among people your age in your community? So this is teens talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. They said the first and the greatest problem among their peers is anxiety and depression. 75% of those said that that is a huge issue with their peers. And the CDC has been doing these 10-year studies um, over the course starting in 2011 to 2021. And this one was asked, high school students were asked, have you experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness during the past year? And so when teens were asked that in 2011, 36% of female students said yes, and 21% of males. Okay, so just 10 years mm -hmm. later, the female number jumps up to 57%. Wow. While the males stays at close to 29%. So then let's go to teen suicide. When teens were asked, have you seriously considered attempting suicide during this past year? In 2011, females said 19% of them have. In 2011, 13% of males have. And here are this number. In 2021, 30% 
of teen girls seriously contemplated attempting suicide. That's tragic. I mean, one third. And this is from a long study called Monitoring the Future by Gene Twenge. It's over, I think it it began in 1991, and they've been asking 8th, 10th, and 12th graders the same question since 1991. So this comes, and this is the question they asked. Can you agree with these statements? And the first one they asked, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, do you agree with the statement that says, I can't do anything right? 26% in 1991 said that. But this past year in 2023, 49.5% of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders affirm the fact that they believe the statement, I can't do anything right. And then when they're asked, hey, do you feel like you're, could you affirm the statement, my life is not useful? 44% of 8th, 10th, and 12th graders this past year said, I believe my life is not useful. Wow. And then when 8th, 10th, and 12th graders were asked this past year, I do not enjoy life. agreed with that. Whereas back in 1991, when 8th, 10th, and 12th graders were asked, do you affirm the statement, I do not enjoy life, it wasn't even close to 25%. So it shot up. It's wild. Yeah, and I mean, you can talk to somebody who's who's from prior generations, and it's like, you know, I was talking with with Ken, and he's like, when I was in fifth grade, like these questions never even came into my mind. I was just eager to go play baseball in the street or you know, hit kickball in the, in the fields or whatever. And like this generation is under such an identity crisis. And it's this perfect storm of, you know, the fact that they're raised in an environment where there is no hope outside of the material world. There's no hope that there's a God who watches over them. That's ordaining all things to, for good that, that sees them as being infinitely valuable to him to the point where he would die for them. I mean, all the, the benefits that come from faith are, are stripped away. They've got all the added pressures of technology and the way that that distorts the mind and changes behaviors. And then there's the school that's coming along, along with all this godlessness self-esteem movement and everything else that is heaping onto them to where they feel like they are the measure of all things. There's nothing outside of them. So to, to throw that pressure on a kid is crushing. And you can see they're, they're wilting under the weight of it. It's tragic. It, I mean, it really is. Yeah. For the U S surgeon general to come out and say, not any, not the drug crisis, not anything else going on right now is a huge crisis, but teen mental health is a crisis. Yeah. They're, they're the last people to say that out loud. Yeah. And that, like when I was young, it used to be like, it was considered a noble thing when you were going through middle school or high school to go and to volunteer in the old folks home. Cause that's where you, you heard about loneliness or sadness or anything like that. And now you look at all of the, the generational data and it's the old people that are happy and it's the young people that are miserable and sad and depressed and suicidal And it's like, okay, well, at some point we have to say, what is it that we're exposing our young people to that's creating this crisis? And I can tell you that the Dewey philosophy of there being no God and no soul and no purpose for your existence, either at your creation or your ultimate death, and any day in between is just meaningless and everything is situationally based. Like that is not helpful for the psyche. And that's what we're training up a generation to believe. And in the meantime, they're looking for any identity 
that can get them some level of praise. Like I was looking at this, and this might be a little controversial, but just the explosion and the number of students that identify on the LGBTQ spectrum is is shocking to me. So, like, I mean, you get to the silent generation or traditionalists, it's less than 1% are on the LGBTQ spectrum in 2021. But if you look at Gen Z, that number is now 21%. And it's, it's, expl- it's, it's exploding. And it's like, where in the world does all this come from? Well, it's being, it's being exalted in the schools. Like, we can't talk about faith. We can't talk about righteous behaviors. We can't talk about noble things. But in the schools, this is what is being exalted and protected. And, and it's like, now all of a sudden, this has become a noble pursuit. But this shouldn't surprise us. Like when I was a headmaster, I used to to train up the teachers to and I and I would tell them what you celebrate, you replicate. And so if you want a student to engage in a particularly good behavior, then celebrate them when they engage in that behavior. And we have spent the last generation or two celebrating the LGBTQ lifestyles in front of our children. So it should not surprise us that we are seeing so much replication and these numbers going up off the charts. And the rea- like the reality is, is when you look on the other side of that coin and you say, okay, how do students do? I mean, I, I know that our culture overwhelmingly is radically different than anything we've ever seen before. But for the students that are still exposed to religion and church attendance and a notion of God, like how do they perform? And the results make you want to see more and more students get exposed to this because it's good for you. Like the the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth found that there is a direct correlation between the frequency of a student's church attendance and their GPA they're 62% more likely to have mostly A's on their report card than those who never attend church. There's something that it does for your academics. The USA Today published an article where they looked at college students and they, they reported college students who participate in religious activities are more likely to have better emotional and mental health than students with no religious involvement. Hint, hint, maybe there's some kind of a design in the universe that wants you to be in relationship with your creator. And they go on. In addition, students who don't participate in religious activities are more than twice as likely to report poor mental health or depression than students who attend religious services frequently. And I think getting rid of all of the religious influences, the Christian influences that we've had in our society, certainly not helping the mental health crisis among the youth. University of North Carolina did a study and they found that more religious students were less likely to drink, less likely to struggle with addictions or face depression or engage in violence, receive traffic tickets, be combative with parents, skip school, steal, trespass, or suffer from in-school disciplinary actions. Like, that's a noble goal. We want that for our kids. The ones who are more religious were more likely to have a positive outlook on life, to have higher grades, to exercise, to experience happier home lives, to participate in extracurricular activities, to graduate high school, and to have stable relationships with their peers. So when you look at the students that are more religious, they are far exceeding in terms of mental and emotional health and even scholastic health, far exceeding those that have no exposure to religion at all. We, why, why can we not learn from that? Are we so allergic to the thought 
that somebody might hear about God that were willing to sacrifice their mental and emotional health to deprive them of it? That's just crazy to me. But we're, we are allergic to it as a society now. Am I, am I off base there, you think? I don't think so. Now, that's a big statement. We love stats. We love logic. And, and if this comes out like this, it's like, yeah. okay. Follow the science. Yeah, like We if, like to talk about yeah, science. Yeah, if you want science, if you want logic, like let's just open the eyes to it then and let's not be afraid to say it. Yeah. If this is good for people, just from a purely pragmatic standpoint, okay, well, let's expose more kids to what is going to improve their lives. But no, 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 no. <laughs> we're, not we're with God. St- we're stuck with this system that has no hope beyond the material world. And when you find locations that allow for school choice, like where they say, you know what, we're going to allow parents to choose schools for their kids and we're going to attach dollars to the children and let the parents pick where they want their children to go so that if they're in a failing public school district, their parents could choose a private school for them. And the very clear reality is that private schools outperform public schools. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, and this is direct quote, the average private school mean reading score, the average reading score was 18.1 points higher than the average public school mean score. The average private school mean mathematics score, 12.3 points higher than the average public school mean math score. Private school students outscored public school students by 20% in the four areas of the ACT, reading, English, math, and science. The ACT composite scores among those educated and private schools, they scored a 24.2 on average out of 36 compared to just a 20.3 for public school students. Homeschool students did 22.9. So when you're ranking them, public school students are at the bottom. School choice participants in Milwaukee were half as likely to commit felonies and misdemeanors as those who went to the local public high school. They had better graduation rates, better grades. In D.C., school choice participants enjoyed a 21% increase in graduation rates. It gives poorer families this uh, an opportunity to escape from failing schools. It empowers parents to give their children the worldview they want. It's it's by far the fairest proposed system. Like if we're we're talking about fairness, for poor families that can't afford to homeschool or can't afford private schools, what you're saying is your worldview doesn't matter. You're going to be compelled to send your kids to an institution that is going to do exactly the opposite of what you want for your kids and you have no choice in the matter. So it's I mean it's the fairest thing. It doesn't compel people to fund a curriculum that's entrenched in atheistic, humanistic, culturally Marxist roots and then have to go somewhere else and pay private school tuition on top of that to escape the schools that are openly hostile to your beliefs. Like I don't understand why that's so controversial. That's just basic fairness, right? Let me make it super clear. Like neither one of us is advocating that all students should be compelled to attend evangelical Protestant schools or that the public schools should become evangelical Protestant schools. That would be unfair to many parents because the demographics of our country have changed considerably since our founding. What I am claiming is that it's only fair that each parent should have the right to send their children to a school that shares their worldview and isn't actively committed to undermining everything that the child is taught at home. 
and the property taxes that they pay should be available to them for that purpose. Property taxes were set aside for education, and so parents should be able to access that money for the purposes of education wherever they choose to send their children. And if the public school teachers unions want to demand that all parents have to send their money to the public schools, then stop alienating three quarters of the people that you're supposed to represent. And by the way, it's cheaper. So the average tuition at private schools per student is $12,350. The average amount that we spend per pupil in public school is $17,000. So purely from an economic standpoint, it makes more sense to just let the parents choose a private school. It'll, it'll ultimately be cheaper for them. And by the way, when in Florida, because we have school choice here, which I'm grateful for, when parents choose to go to a private school, when they choose to take advantage of this, the top three reasons they give are number one, a religious environment. That's number one. 66% of people who choose to take advantage of Florida's program say, I want my kid to have religious instruction, whether it's Jewish, Muslim, Catholic, Christian, whatever. Then the number two, 52% said morals, character, and values instruction. Third is a safe environment. You have to get down to the fourth reason, 34%, for academic reputation. So we're not even talking about academics, even though the private schools clean the clocks of public schools in terms of academics. The main motivations of why people want out of the public schools is all this indoctrination garbage. They want their kids to receive religious instruction. They want them to have character-based instruction. That's what's driving a lot of this. And the reality is, like, what we're getting out of education in the academic stance, it's, it's not even, it doesn't feel that valuable anymore. And college, like, college graduates are graduating with massive amounts of debt for an education that's like, what was that really worth? Like, mm. you know, people are going to ask me, do you have a bachelor's degree? And I need to be able to say yes to that. But in terms of the education, you know, the college degree is getting less and less valuable as time goes on. The Wall Street Journal just released a study that showed that 56% of Americans now say that their college degree was not worth the cost. Like, I knew that that number had fallen, but that's wild. That is. Harvard Business Review just did a study, and what they were asking is like, do you need a degree? Like, are people even looking for degrees anymore? And this came out of their article. They, they analyzed 51 million different job postings. And then they wrote an article about what they found. And one of the things they said is, quote, between 2017 and 19, so this is still before COVID, employers reduced degree requirements for 46% of middle skill positions and 31% of high skill positions. Among the jobs most affected were those in IT and managerial occupations, which were hard to fill during that time period. So let me translate. What they're finding is they want people who are competent, right? Yeah. And a college degree doesn't necessarily communicate that, nor is it necessary for a lot of positions. And so more and more companies are saying, ah, we're not going to require a college degree, where for the previous 20 years before that or 40 years before that, that number was only growing, growing, growing. Everybody, you know, everybody needs a college degree to get a job. We're actually backing away from that. It just seems so absolutely obvious that where you find the greatest successes in all of those fronts from the mental, the emotional, the academic, 
is not public schools. It's more in private schools. It's homeschooling. And so as a nation, if we care about the future of our country, just from a pragmatic standpoint, that needs to be in the conversation. But even outside of that, which I'm more interested in, and kingdom of God kind of mentalities, we need to rescue our kids out of these disgusting ideologies that are enslaving them and making them miserable. We got to get some courage. And part of the reason why we wanted to record this podcast is to just flat out say enough. Like we've been losing this ideological war for far too long, and it's time for Christians to be able to speak about something more than just salvation matters. Like the scriptures call on us to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, to bring peace and purity and and flourishing to the city here and now. And the church used to do that. And it has fallen asleep on the job. And as a result, we're seeing generations falling into misery. And it's time to stand with some courage and to speak and to call this stuff out. Moses isn't going to Egypt to have conversations with Pharaoh about the gospel. Yeah. He's going there to demand freedom for his people. You look at the greatest heroes that you find in the scriptures in the Old Testament, and they are people that are coming to plead on behalf of their people. And we need prophets this day and age that can speak truth to a culture that has the people utterly enslaved. Like it is not godly to ignore it. It is not godly to accept it. It's not godly to remain silent in the face of it. It is godly to confront it and to demand better with grace and to speak for the hope that a generation to come might be liberated and saved from the misery of all this stuff. And by the way, if you want to preserve the liberty to preach the gospel, let me show you how all other nations that abandon individual rights and go down the road of godlessness, how they end up. Pastors end up in jails without exception. You care about the gospel, fight to preserve the liberty to preach it. I don't understand where I'm wrong there. Amen? Amen. So, like, what can you do? I mean, like, the obvious... The obvious answers are to pray and to fast and to like get serious because this is a God-sized problem and we need God's help to fix it. He's going to have to be the one that moves in the hearts of the people to change this nation from where it is right now. Push for school choice policies. Fight to ensure that, that people have equal access to quality education. You know, kids that are languishing in these failing school districts just because of their poverty. Fight so that they have a chance for something better to break that cycle of poverty. Elections matter. So vote for people that are going to advance policies that reflect your convictions. And monitor your local school boards. Make it uncomfortable for people to advance things inside the schools that are hostile to your convictions. Our nation has thousands upon thousands of very faithful and devoted and faith-filled public school teachers. And I want to say, if God puts an opportunity in front of you to speak truth, show courage and speak up. Another simple thing, educate people. Most people like me and Will, like we've never heard most of this stuff. Yeah. So share the podcast, read up on it, start, start educating people about what we once were and how beautiful that was. 
and start fighting to recapture some of those elements to preserve liberty here. Liberty is a beautiful thing. And once you squander it, it's really hard to get back. Monitor the curriculum that you're, you're seeing in your children's schools, whether they're public or private. Be on watch. Ensure that your church is remaining faithful to the word of God. We've seen what happens when the church takes a nap. All hell breaks loose, quite literally. And finally, you are responsible for educating your kids, not your teacher, not a public school, not a private school, not a tutor. You are ultimately responsible for educating your kids. It comes straight out of Deuteronomy 6. That is a sacred obligation that you have. And for the sake of the church, we need this younger generation to know not just the beauty of salvation and the hope of the gospel and to believe that there's something beyond this rotten, fallen material world. We need a hope of something far greater. And so teach them that, but also teach them the really brilliant philosophy and wisdom of those that have come before us to show how we can hand off the blessings of liberty to the next generation. That's a sacred duty. You know, in our nation, whether you want to realize it or not, you are part of a covenant that was founded at the Constitution that says, we the people. That's an oath that you make by being a citizen here. And so you have an obligation first and foremost to being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, a citizen of a far greater city, but you are a citizen of this land. Seek the peace of the city. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this 10-part series of the Out of Water podcast, asking and hopefully kind of answering the yeah. question, America, how did we get here? I hope that this inspires you and makes you feel like, okay, finally I can maybe understand where we are as a nation, how we got here, who the enemy is, the ideas, so that you can fight and stand against it. And you can find the courage like men before us have to stand for what's good and true and noble and righteous. We need that more than ever. And I hope you'll stand. We'll see you on the next episode of the Out of Water Podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. Music for this episode included The Epic Hero and the Inspiration by Keys of Moon, Reporting from the Scene by Maxco Music, Story by My Dawn, and Adrift Among Infinite Stars by Scott Buckley. You can learn more about the Out of Water podcast and Rio Vista Church at our website, riovistachurch.com.